0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. As uh, Dave said, our text is going to be John 9. It's the whole chapter, so just bear with me. As he went along, and this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now his neighbors and those uh, who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And now on the day that Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I wash, and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. "'Is this your son?' they asked. "'Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see?' "'We know that this is our son,' the parents answered. "'And we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. So ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself.' And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. So then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now, that th- this is remarkable. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is God's word.
1: we're in the middle of a series on uh, the parables and miracles of Jesus. And so tonight I'm going to talk about that miracle from John 9. Uh, My name is Francis. I I minister in the Bayview-Hunters Point area here in San Francisco. Good friend of uh, Dave Lomas. And um, he asked me to talk about a miracle. And this is the one I chose. because I've always loved this story. Um, But I've never really taught it. So I thought, "Ah, let me try it on you. Um, But before I get into this... uh, I had lunch. It, you guys uh, ever been to the restaurant, The Plant, out here? It's a great restaurant. But um, anyways, I was with one of the owners uh, the other week, and he was telling me this story about his parents. And it was so cool because he says his parents have been married for 76 years. Okay? He's, his dad's 95. His, his mom's 96. And uh, he says, they've been together, actually, since sixth grade. It's like 84 years that these two have been living life together. And and he started talking about how, he says, you know, my mom, actually, her mind is gone. She's not there anymore. But my dad will just sit there with his hand on her arm. And I, I was just trying to picture that, like... I can't imagine like that type of relationship for that many years and what goes through his mind as he just puts his hand on her arm they can't communicate anymore. But just the thought of all of these years of memories, of remembering sixth grade and running around and playing tag or whatever, to, to getting married and having kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And now, you know, all the fights, all the hardship, everything they, they, they got through together and now ending their life together. I thought, man, what would that feel like? I, I mean, first of all, it's just beautiful because you never hear of that. Um, But I I just started to think, because, you know, my my wife and I, we've been married, like, 20 years. And, um, you know, she's she's starting to get wrinkles, and and she complains about them. And, you know, I always thought, you know, I wouldn't like it, but I love it. I I think that's so cool. Look at you. You're old. Because... It, because it reminds me of like everything we went through and, and, and it's like, it's weird how beautiful it is to me and how much I love it. And our, our oldest daughter just graduated and she moved away to Nashville two weeks ago. We're crying. No, I'm, I'm not excited about that. And, and it's just, you know, so I'm, I, all these emotions every time I look at my wife and, and, and everything else and I just think, I can't imagine 84 years of that. And what must go through your mind, this amazing relationship and, and how God created that. But in the scriptures, it teaches that our marriage unions, this, that, that relationship is just supposed to be a picture of a greater mystery, a greater union that we as human beings can have with God. Like as amazing as a relationship can be, he's just saying, that's nothing. You want to know the true mystery. You want to know something amazing. Marriage is just a small picture of that. There's something so much greater that, that you and I can have this mystical union with the creator of the universe. And, and he says, Mary's just a little picture of that, something so much greater. And, and I'm telling you, it, it can be that. And, and I know this is going to be weird to some of you, but I'm telling you, as, as great as human relationships can be, there's something about, like, I, I still get the chills when I come into the presence of God. Even this morning, I spent a couple hours just alone with God away from everyone is that I'm talking him with him and enjoying him and, and crying before him and it's a real relationship I mean just as real more real than my relationship with my kids or my wife is this relationship with God. I, this morning as I'm talking, I'm just going, God, I, I don't want to leave. I just want to be alone with you. Do I really have to go see humans now? You know, like it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, as much as I love the family, it's like, I don't want to go back in there right now. I just want to spend the day with you and it's real. And, I, and I, I just want that. I mean, that's what this is all about. And I know that's so foreign to some of you because you're going, what are you talking about? How do you have that relationship because you've looked at, at church or Christianity as rules or commands or obligations, duties, whatever, however you were brought up. And yet God's saying, no, I want something so much more with you. I, I want to have a relationship with you that you can't have with just another human being. And I've met people who are, who are elderly, who, who just go, gosh, I can't wait to see him. I've gotten so much closer to him, you know, all these years and I'm finally going to be with him. I can't wait. I can't wait. That's what God desires for us. And, and I was praying, I was praying for you this morning. I was praying for you yesterday going, God, I want them so badly to understand you and I know some people just don't get it and I, I almost wish I could just take a memory stick to my head and, and like, oh, let me just show you everything about God and everything we can have and let me just stick that in your brain so you get it because it's so, so good. I'm telling you, this is so real. This relationship with God that we can have really is better than any relationship here on the earth. And so I pray, I pray that maybe some of you get it tonight. Um, I haven't prayed for a miracle tonight. I I said, God, you know, we're in this series here on parables and miracles. What about tonight? What about tonight? What if, what if, what if tonight you chose to do something where everyone walked away and goes, okay, that was just a flat-out miracle. I've never seen anything like that before. And I start going, God. Could we have that? Could we have that tonight? Because I just want people to know you and maybe if you do something supernatural tonight, not just read about something in scripture, but have it happen, man, wouldn't you all love that? To just walk away tonight going, you'll never believe what happened there. It was, and, and, and not one that we can fake where it's like, oh, a guy said he had a headache and it's gone. You, you know, it's like, well, I don't know if he did. No one never saw, you know, but like something where you just go, no way. I mean, isn't that partially why we come? We say, you know what? I don't want just this. I want some of this. I, I, I want to just be exposed to some of the power of God because there have been times in my life where I just walk away and I go, that was, that was scary how real that was. That was, there was no way that could have been coincidence. And I just go, God, could we have something like that? Can we have something? Because maybe some people are just on the fence and they just need to see something. And I go, I don't, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Um, I'm saying it could. And uh, I'd love it. You'd probably love it. But here's the thing. Even if it happened, that's no guarantee that you would believe and love Jesus. That's the thing that I've been learning in the scriptures, and, and, and it's reemphasized to me this week in, with John chapter 9, because John chapter 9, you have a clear miracle. To see this man, people who knew him growing up, he was born blind. To see his parents who obviously knew him, you know, all of these years, but then once the healing takes place, the miracle takes place, it's weird because not everyone just falls on their faces and worships Jesus. In fact, in this story, it seems like only one guy really did. And you go, wait, how can we all experience this? And how how could there not be the same reaction? And yet you see that Jesus is taught that this is what happens. You know, there's a story in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus tells a story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember that story? Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus tells a story about this rich man who had everything, and then there was this beggar named Lazarus who sometimes would just beg for the scraps off of his table, you know, but they both die, and, and it explains how um, Lazarus goes to a better place, but the rich man does not, and he goes to a place of torment, and there's a scene where he's crying out saying, could you just send Lazarus to like dip his finger in a, in a pool of water and, and just touch, the, I'm not asking for a lot, just dip my tongue in a little drop of water because I'm, I'm in agony down here. And then, then he asks, he goes, well, can you send Lazarus back to the earth, back to my relatives, and can you have him warn them? Warn them of what could take place if they don't. If they don't really follow, and then Jesus, you know, is telling the story, and the answer is given when he says, "Can you just send someone to warn him?" And then in verse uh, thirty-one, he said to him, "If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead." Okay, look at that. Is a crazy statement. He's he's saying that this book, the words of Moses, the prophets, are so powerful that if you teach this and the person doesn't listen, even if someone came back from the dead and read these verses or said the same thing, they're still not going to listen. And I'll be honest, I have a hard time believing that still. I know Jesus said it, but sometimes I go, really? Really? Like if someone rose from the dead, doesn't that give it a little more emphasis? Like, doesn't that do something? And yet what he's saying is, no, there's a heart condition that we sometimes think that all these external things will change someone. Haven't there been times in your life where you just, you you almost hope for something strange to enter someone's life because you think, well, if this happened to him, then he'd believe. And it still doesn't work. And, and it's the same thing, You'll, we'll see this in, in, in John chapter 9, a clear miracle, it's never been seen before. These people see it, and still some people don't believe. And it's just like Jesus said, look, I, I, could, I could rise from the dead, and people still won't believe because there's something in their hearts, there's a hardening in there. That's why you read about those Pharisees, and you're like, wow, really, that's the way they responded? And so I, you know John 9 it's a, it's a long passage so we're not going to get into the you know every nuance of it I'm just going to all I want to focus on is the way people responded that's all I really want to look at because it's it's weird but we know it two people can grow up in the same household right same mom and dad same experiences for the most part and then go completely different directions why is that you would think that the similarity in experience would cause a similar response. And what Jesus has said all along, it's, it's not about the externals. There's something in our hearts. And, um, and I want to look at that. Uh, but, but before we, we do that, I just want you to notice two things about this, this story in John 9. Two things I want to point out to you that I want to make sure you don't miss. The first one is this. There was a guy who was blind. And then he could see. Okay, did you catch that? I I just want to make sure you understood that. Because sometimes we can jump into like little details. It's like, okay, teach me something I don't know. Show me that. You guys, okay, someone was blind since birth. And we had been begging for years and everyone knew him and then he could see. And the reason why I bring up the obvious is because, look, we sometimes want to jump to obscure facts. But the truth is, is if that happened tonight, if someone you all knew was blind and blind from birth and he came here and, and he was healed, you wouldn't look at me and say, uh, teach us some lessons from that. You know, give me four lessons that start with the letter R. You know, about you would you would just freak out, right? You would run out of your Instagram, take a picture of his eyes. You would just you would. I mean, imagine what would you do if that happened tonight? You wouldn't want to just sit around and go. Well, let me tell you. You know, the culture of you know why we did this. You would just be terrified. You'd be blown away. You'd be amazed. And so understand, first and foremost, that that's what this is about, is Jesus Christ performed a miracle. There were a lot of teachers that day. There were plenty of brilliant people just like there are today. And we want to value this opinion, this opinion, this opinion, but when someone opens the eyes of the blind, it's an unwritten rule that his opinion matters more than yours, okay? Okay? And that's what goes on here. Suddenly you have this man who is opening people's eyes who were born blind. He's raising people from the dead, and they don't know what to do with it. They, they, they bring him to the Pharisees because they go, okay, you told us that if we believe in this Jesus that we would get kicked out of the synagogue, meaning we lose everything. So they're like, well, what do we do? He just healed a blind guy. What do we do here? And that's why they bring this guy. But the second thing I want to point out before we look at their responses is, why was the man born blind? This is very important. In in, in verses verses 2 and 3, he explains why this man was born blind. It says that his disciples ask him, Rabbi, okay, why is this guy blind? So they see a blind man, they go, did he sin or did his parents sin? See, because in their mind, if someone had a deformity or whatever, it's because of sin. I mean, God's fair, so he must punish people, and that's how he does it. But they said, okay, but this guy was born, born this way. So he didn't do anything, right, Jesus? So then was it his parents that did this? You know, was it their sin and their consequence was having a born, you know, a blind child? And God answers, Jesus answers and, says, and makes it very clear, sets the record straight. He goes, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, catch that. Why was he born blind? There's a reason that the works of God might be displayed in him. my question to you right now is are you okay with that i mean think about it so this man suffered didn't he his whole life being blind to the point where now he can't do anything but sit in the road and beg that's a pretty tough life his parents suffered You know, caring for him all those days and, you know, wanting the best for your kid and then realizing he's not going to see the things that you see and then having to help him. And that's that's probably hardest on him because he doesn't want to be a burden to anyone. So all of this suffering, all of that took place so that years later Jesus could do this work? Are you okay with that? Is it okay for God to say, I'm going to have this person born blind. He's going to suffer. His parents are going to suffer. All because one day I want to do this work and put it on display. Is it okay for God to cause someone to have a condition that causes suffering so that he could display his work in that person? It's a very important question. I mean, doesn't that make him evil? If he caused someone else to suffer just so that he can do his work? I mean, shouldn't our comfort be the greatest priority to God? See, it's a, it's a very important question you're going to have to answer that is this a man-centered world where things should revolve around me and my pleasure and is God's working and displaying of his power actually more important than my pleasure? Is it actually good that the universe centers around God and his plan and his works rather than me and my pleasures and desires? Is it good that, that there's a God and things center around him and not me? Because then you've got to start asking the question, is it okay what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna in in, in Revelation? In the book of Revelation, he tells the church in Smyrna, he says, look, I know you're being persecuted for me. He goes, but be faithful even until death and I'll give you the crown of life. Is is God? Is that okay that God says that He tells these people they don't even get the happy ending on Earth? At least this blind man, yeah, he suffered, but then boom, he saw, you know, and and things must have changed. It must have been amazing. But what, but Jesus also tells people, look, you be faithful. I know you're suffering right now, but be faithful even to the point where they kill you. No happy ending on the Earth. Be faithful unto death. And guess what? I'm going to give you the crown, which is life. I'm going to give you a better life in the future. I mean, the amount of faith it would take to believe, I'll suffer, I'll be tortured, I'll even die for this thing because I know there's something better. Is it okay for God to do that? And suddenly it's not revolving around our comfort anymore. Is God worth it? Last weekend... um, Last weekend I was in an airport down in LA and uh, I just said goodbye to my daughters. I'm all sad and and, uh, and I don't think it was coincidence. I ran into like my hero, you know, in the airport right afterwards, like my biggest hero on the earth, I think. Um, And it was crazy how I ran into her. I, I was in the bathroom and peeing next to her husband. It's like, hey, you know, it, it was, uh, and she's like, hey, did you see my wife? out? Like, no way, she's out there, you know, and uh, I go out. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know, I don't know if you, you, you know her, but I, I love this woman. She's amazing. For those who don't know who she is, in 1967, 1967, she was diving into a lake and didn't realize that it was shallow. And um, I believe she was about 16 years old, dove into this lake and hits her head and has been a paraplegic since 1967 can't can't barely move you know a hand and uh, i mean it's just a matter of 40 what is it, 46 years of this 46 years For the last 46 years confined to a wheelchair first thing she does is she learns to paint with her teeth taking a teeth cuz she can still move her head a little bit she does these amazing paintings and becomes an artist she starts writing you know they figure out a way to get her thoughts you know she dictates whatever she's, she's a best-selling author written over 50 books not only that but um, she's worked with Condoleezza Rice you know with the, the disabled here in America she has her own TV show she has her own radio show she's even recorded several albums with her singing she has taken over 100,000 wheelchairs, like old wheelchairs. She takes them to prisons. The prisoners refurbish them, and then she takes them to third world countries. She's been to 47 different countries and distributes these wheelchairs to people in third world countries who have never left the ground, have never moved, and and, and to come, and her compassion. Over 100,000 of these wheelchairs fitting them perfectly for these kids and started this whole ministry, this whole organization. But beyond all those achievements, she's she's the most joyful person I've ever met. Like, it's, it's, you, you can't be around Johnny for, for five minutes without her suddenly quoting a scripture or encouraging you or, or even bursting into song. Like, she'll just start singing a hymn. You know, I'll be, yeah, you know, it's good... Salad, huh? Amazing. You know, it's like, wow. You you know, it's just insane. The joy, the life. Here's what blew me away one time. Okay, I didn't realize. It's just my own ignorance. I didn't know that uh, paraplegics could feel pain. But, you know, one time we were talking over lunch, and she just goes, oh, oh just so much pain. And she she had to be rushed out because just these internal pains she would get. Then, then later on, we find out that she has cancer. So here's the deal: she's in, she has cancer, she's going through chemo. While she's in chemo, in pain, with cancer, she gets pneumonia. Okay, here's a woman that's been a paraplegic for 40-something years. And now she's in severe pain, has cancer, chemo, pneumonia. And I get a letter in the mail from her, and I go, it's probably like a prayer letter, whatever. I, see. I open it up. Hey Francis, how are you doing? I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I love you. I know you're going through some different changes in life, and just want you to know you got someone on your side. And uh, I want you to know that I've been praying for you and I hope you're doing okay. You, I'm doing okay. (laughs) You know, it, it just blew my mind. How can you think of anyone when you're going through so much? I mean, I don't think of anyone when I have a cold, you know, and and it's just, I, I look at this woman and I go, wait, no, all these years of suffering, she tells me how hard it is to get out of bed every day and have someone pick you up out of the bed and you just go another day and everything else, but the joy, the life, the way she thinks of others, and so again, is it okay, is it okay that God had her in that diving accident 46 years ago in order to display his works in her is it okay for him to have someone suffer like that to say watch look how great i am i'm so great that this woman can have tremendous joy for all of these years through all of that suffering because i'm better than all of that is it okay that god might have had some of you grow up in an abusive home that somehow through it all you could find Jesus and find this joy that's so great that everyone would look at you and go, wait, you went through so much. How can you have so much joy? Who is this Jesus? Look, I know there's crazy stories in this room of things you've been through, the temptations that strike you, that where you go, gosh, how could there be a God? If he says this is wrong and I'm so tempted, this is it possible? Is it okay if God allowed you to go through some of these abuses, some of these broken relationships, some of this pain, some of this temptation, in order that he might work his works through you and display in you, look, here's someone who's had a real rough life, but look at his joy, look at her joy, because that's what I do. Is it okay that, that he could, or, or maybe it's the opposite. Could he bless you with a great family and a great wife and great life and riches beyond imagination so that you could say, man, that stuff doesn't even matter. You've you got to know this God that whatever circumstance we're in, he does it in order to display his works. See, that's what happens in this man's life. Here's a verse that will help us, I hope, understand The way people respond to things. It's Titus chapter 1 verse 15. And it says this. To the pure all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe nothing is pure. In fact both their minds and consciences are corrupted. See what saying? He says, to the pure, all things are pure. If you talk to Johnny Erickson Tata right now, she would praise God for that crazy accident that she went through. She would praise God for the cancer, the pain, everything else. Why? Because to the pure, all things are pure. To those who have a pure heart, they take everything that comes in life and says, you know what, this is going to be used to the glory of God. This is okay. But haven't you met also other people that no matter what happens, God gets the blame for it? Because it's not about the situation. That's why two people can have the same external experience, but to the pure, he's going to say, gosh, all things work together for the good. I actually praise God for this, and another person blames God for it. It's about a heart condition, and that's what we see in this, in this story I mean, you have the Pharisees. They know this man was born blind, right? In fact, when they weren't sure, they said, bring his parents in. We know his parents. They're a part of the synagogue. Bring his parents in. And his parents are going, yeah, that's him. He can see now. They see a miracle. Okay, these Pharisees were against Jesus. They said, if you believe in him, you're out of the synagogue, which means you lose all of your security, all of your relationship. You're ostracized. You're on your own. You would think that if they experience this miracle, and that's why all these people bring the blind guy to the Pharisees, going, what do we do? This is clearly a miracle. What do we do? And what's their response? I mean, look at, look at, what, he, look at what they do. In, in, in verse uh, 31, it says, We know that God... I, I'm sorry. Let's go to uh, verse 30, when the blind man is... Uh, Is speaking, And and the man answers, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God will listen to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out that's your response here's a miracle in your face but their heart was so hardened they just were not going to believe in jesus they already made their mind up and this guy's going how can you even question this i've been blind my whole life. no one never in history has this happened and what's their response you know what who are you you were born in sin that's why you were blind and, and get out that's how you're going to re- why it's a condition of the heart but then you look at this man, and he has a completely different response to Jesus, right? It seems like the more, the, more the, the Pharisees and religious leaders and the people question him, the more he just gets bold and says, no, I know who he is to the point where he gets kicked out. He's not going to back down. He just keeps popping off. Like, what, you want to be his disciple too? How many times I got to tell you the story? I was blind. I see. You know, like, what, what more proof do you want? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? You know, he goes, this never happened in history. And they kick him out. He just was not going to back off. What I love about the story, though, I, probably my favorite verse in that is verse 35, where it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Like Jesus hears later on, hey, they just kicked that guy out of the synagogue. Like he's been ostracized from his whole community. And Jesus goes and finds him. And can you picture this guy like all alone? And no one, no one, and, and Jesus goes and goes, no way. He goes and finds this guy. And just says, Hey. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy's like, who is he? I want to believe. And he goes, it's me. I'm the one that healed you. I'm the one that gave you your sight. And it says the man just worshiped Jesus. I love that. I love that picture of this guy suffering the consequences. See, the blind man responded properly. He says, look, I I know who he is, and you can kick me out. You can take everything from me. I'm not going to back down. And he loses everything, and Jesus finds him where he is and comforts him and says, look, I'll be enough. I'm with you. You're right here in front of the Messiah. And he just worships him. I just love that picture. But there's one last response I want to Bring up. It's the response of his parents. That's the weird one to me. His parents, when when they're brought before the Pharisees, and the Pharisees go, Hey, is that your son? Yep. Was he born blind? Yep. How did it happen? And they start thinking, Well, if we say Jesus healed him and we believe in Jesus, we get kicked out of the synagogue, but I can't deny that that's so. They just go, Ask him. I go. That's so weak. I mean, imagine those those of you who are parents. Man, if your son who you you saw him you know all your life, and then suddenly he's thirty or something, and he receives his sight. Wouldn't you just freak out and go, man? Whoever healed you, I am following him. I, but they did. But it's so hard because they thought, I can't let go of this security I've had my whole life. You know, all of my relationships are in the synagogue. All my friends are in the synagogue. This is all I've ever known. And if I follow this Jesus, I'll lose all of this. So they just kind of straddle this fence and go, well, I, yeah, he was blind. Yeah, he definitely can see. Yeah, he's our kid. This is the way it's always been. Um, but I, that's, we're just going to leave it there. Our lips are sealed. Talk to him. And, and when I read that, I thought, you know what? This is like so many people today, and maybe a lot of you in this room, where something in you, you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on that cross for your sins. Like, you know it, and you, you wouldn't dare with your mouth say, no, Jesus is not the Son of God. Like, you wouldn't say that, but at the same time, you look at your life and everything you've been holding on to all these years, and you're going, I don't know if I can just let go of all of that. I, I'm not ready to just break free from all that, but I also know that Jesus is real, and I don't want to deny him. Can I just kind of stay here and be neutral I don't want to follow Jesus but I don't want to deny him either and so I've just been praying going God I bet you there's people like that you know the consequences of following Jesus and so you're not willing to let go and you're like those parents where you're like I don't want to blaspheme Jesus but I also don't want to just completely abandon everything and follow him So I've just been praying and saying, God, maybe, maybe tonight that miracle will happen where suddenly the scales will fall off and you'll go, man, Jesus is so worth it. I'll get kicked out of whatever. I'll leave whatever lifestyle. All these years, it's all I've known. But I don't know. I I just, I get it now. And I want to follow him. And so I wanna close just reading three verses because I believe the word of God, like Jesus said, this is the power. Maybe there'll be a miracle tonight that's external that we can all see. And maybe there'll be a different miracle tonight where some of you who have never believed in Jesus, maybe even been like the Pharisees and just did everything you could to deny him, maybe tonight's the night, you just hear some words from the Bible and you go, I get it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God says he demonstrates this that even though we were sinners, Christ died on that cross for us, and that saved us from the wrath of God. And he says, we were enemies, and Jesus brought a reconciliation. And maybe right now, you just hearing those verses and that explanation opens your eyes, because maybe you go, wow, I thought I was always a good person. I thought that because I did pretty much good things that I'm going to heaven. But this says that we're all sinners, and and I thought that God was good with everyone, and it says that we're enemies of God. The wrath of God, I thought that was old school, that we don't. And yet it says that Jesus saves me from that. And maybe for the first time you understand look, we're all guilty, we've all done things. And quit defending yourself and go, God, okay, here it is. Here's all the things I've done. And he says, great, Jesus then died on that cross and he paid for your crimes on there. And so I no longer have to pour my wrath out on you and have you pay for it. He took it on the cross and now there can be reconciliation. We're no longer enemies, but you can be called a friend of God. And you can begin this relationship, this marriage, this mystical union that I promise you is better than what you could have have with another person and maybe you get that tonight and you begin
0: that relationship let's just worship him right now